What do you get when you combine the skills of stock market wizardry, SEO optimization, and a background in venture capital? You get a company that's purchased over 25 Amazon FBA businesses in the last year alone. Say what? How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I'm your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed, organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And today, all the way from Boston, my guest is, Ke- uh, I was about to say Kevin. I have so many Kevins on this show. It's Ken. Ken, how's it going? <laughs> Great. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Now, before we get started into the very interesting topic that you're going to be talking to us about today, I always like getting the origin story of who I talk to. I've still, after 85 episodes, have never had two people with even a remotely close kind of origin story. So real quick, like, where did you grow up? Uh, I believe you told me it wasn't in Boston, but you grew up in uh, Cleveland, right? Yep, absolutely. Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised. And then I went to college in upstate New York, Colgate University. And after I graduated, I moved to Boston in 2002 and have been in Boston ever since. Okay. Now what was your major in college? Actually, Colgate's a liberal arts school and I majored in English literature. So if you were going to say it was in dental hygiene, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you no. get that all the time. <laughs> At Colgate, there. Okay. Uh, so English literature and which, you know, actually led to a career in investment management, um, which was not anywhere related to what I majored in. Uh, so pretty, pretty funny. Uh, so I mean, like immediately after university, your first major job was already in that or, or did you have a transition phase where you, you gave the English? Yeah, no, I, I did not. I actually uh, got a job as a, a corporate recruiter as well as my first job out of undergrad. And then uh, after about a year doing that, I transitioned over to investment management. And for the next 13 years, I was a equities analyst and portfolio manager, investing in small cap technology stocks. That's all above my head. You just sounded like you were speaking Klingon there for a second. That, that's all right. Well, that's, that's why we're here. You're supposed to teach me about this stuff. I picked stocks. I picked stocks. Okay, there we go. There that, that's good. I, yep. I get that. All right. Now, just let's get people excited. Let's throw a crazy stat out there. In the last year, how many Amazon businesses have you guys purchased? Over 25. Over 25 Amazon businesses. All right. So yep. that that's that's what we're going to be talking about today. But like, let's take a few steps back now. Is this a new company that started with this in mind? Is this an existing company that would do other kinds of investments? Like, hey, let's branch to Amazon. Or how did this start? Yeah, great, great question. So our co-founders, Josh Silverstein and Carlos Cashman, um, a couple years ago, had the idea of rolling up direct-to-consumer brands and leveraging SEO. Um, you know, Josh has a background in venture capital, um, where he worked with numerous consumer brands on consumer funds, investing hundreds of million dollars in consumer companies. Carlos, uh, numerous startups and exit. His most recent was actually a, a Facebook ad agency. Um, they had cross paths prior to Thrasio and wanted to um, team up and start a business together. So they initially went down the direct-to-consumer route. And then once they actually got exposure to Amazon, and in particular the FBA model, they uh, pivoted. And over, I think it was about 18 months ago, made their first acquisition of an Amazon FBA business. And kind of we haven't, haven't looked back ever since. 
Okay. Now in the beginning, I mean, obviously I'm sure the reason why you guys started looking into Amazon is because you can see the crazy growth and the potential yep. and, and just the business model itself is great for this kind of thing. But like, was it ever even on the table? Like, Hey, let's build a team and let's just have them churning out brand new businesses. Or from day one, your guys were like, you know what? We don't want to do all that. We're just going to go look for people who are, who are already established and purchase. Yeah. So it's morphed into actually reverse engineering that as it stands today. But initially it was, you know, as you know, and all the sellers know, it's getting harder to get reviews, to build a leadership position in a market. Um, you know, the landscape has changed from 2015, 2016 um, to today uh, in terms of the cost and effectiveness of launching new products on Amazon. And so the initial thesis was, well, let's, you know, there, there's a void in the market in terms of capital providers to Amazon sellers in terms yeah. of an exit, right? And w what we found in our early conversations with sellers is that, you know, they have the toolkit and capital to get them the three, four, five million dollars of revenue. But once they hit that, they hit a glass ceiling and they're, you know, oftentimes leveraging up their credit cards and you know, taking out loans or maybe they're taking out a secondary mortgage on their home to keep the inventory flowing. And at the end of the day, they were putting, you know, the personal balance sheet to extreme leverage and risk. And so um, what that led to was an opportunity for Thrasio to kind of, you know, fill a void in the marketplace. And then, you know, by buying those kind of what we call, you know, beachfront real estate on Amazon and then subsequently drafting off of that brand equity that's already been built and launching new products. Okay. So then you, you do have like an Amazon team. So you're purchasing these, you guys take over full operations and then you have a team that is, you know, managing these existing listings and, and trying to launch new products on the same brand, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. So we've, we've built okay. out a global team. We have over 125 people globally in the company. Um, and we have the companies centered around, you know, the, these kind of centers of operations. So we have supply chain operations, finance, marketing and advertising and creative and product development. Okay, cool. Now what, what's the criteria? What are you guys looking for? I mean, there's millions of Amazon accounts out there. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys are not, not every single one is a prospect or that meet your criteria, but, but what is your set criteria of, of what makes you consider purchasing a storefront or not? Yeah. So we're actually very broad in, in what we look for and look at. I and mean, I probably looked at over 300 companies over the past year. Um, and what we really look for is first and foremost, I call it R cubed. So it's reviews, rating, and rank. Do they have the reviews that should establish them as a leadership position just from a social proof standpoint in the, in the, in the category? Do they have the rating, the product quality to back up and sustain their position? And then rank, are they ranking organically on high keyword volume? And so when you have that trifecta, th then we move down to the category. And when it's on a category basis, you know, we love simple, uh, everyday, hard, good objects. Um, so we're not really, you know, we haven't done anything, I would say, like in the supplement space or food and grocery um, we haven't done anything in, I would say, trendy apparel um, or something with high uh, technology obsolescence risk. But other than that, we look across the entire range of categories. Okay, cool. Now, 
do you have like a minimum that an account needs to be generating in sales or a minimum, you know, profit margin, et cetera? Yeah. So uh, in general, we look probably, I would say one to 30 million in revenue. So it's pretty wide. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of that will have to do with skew concentration and ASIN concentration. So for us, we're a little bit of an anomaly from a buyer standpoint in that we embrace the hero ASIN that's doing 3 million a, a year in revenue. Um, because if you think about it, we're, we're diversifying that risk across our entire product portfolio set. Okay. Is this only private label accounts that you're doing or somebody has some amazing wholesale connections? Do you consider purchasing those? No, just private label. Okay. Yeah. Private label, trademark, brand registry. Of those 25 accounts you've purchased, like at the time of purchase, you know, not, not now, but at the time of purchase, if you take the time of purchase for every single one of those 25, roughly what's the total gross sales that, you know, yearly that those accounts all put together would be doing? I'm assuming it's going to be at least since the, the floor is a million, you yep. know, we're talking at least 25 million of revenue total, but it's obviously a much bigger number than that, I would assume. Yep. We'll be, um, at the end of this year, we'll be north of a hundred million in revenue. Wow. That's awesome. So we, we talk about, you know, that yes, you do look at profit margins. Now, a lot of Amazon sellers out there, you know, like I would hope to say, you know, once, once they're getting to that seven figure range that they do have, you know, a little bit more sophisticated financial, you know, statements and things like that. But, you know, a lot of Amazon sellers, they, they don't have that background. You know, they started off as a hobby and they, they just kind of make it big. They yep. might not have, hey, uh, P&Ls and all this stuff. What would somebody have to have prepared already? You know, if they were to come to you, like w- what kind of financial documentation are you, are you looking uh, see. Yeah. So that's, I think one of the things that, you know, we're, we're building, you know, a, a company that's, this is all we focus on. Right. So with that comes uh, scripting and modeling and things that we can do to help the sellers achieve an exit. And so to be honest with you, it's um, <laughs> everything's in seller central. So if, if somebody doesn't have a PL, you know, we're happy to sign a non-disclosure and we can build a, a, a monthly accrual based PL within a half an hour for a seller. We have that all automated at this point. And then all we really need for them is, you know, uh, to reconcile the cost of goods sold. Uh, and once we have that, we can build a PL that we feel comfortable with enough to make an offer on the business. So you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to, you know, hire a CPA and yeah, yeah, that's all your tax was... returns and have it all buttoned up and spend, you know, $15,000 just getting your books clean. Um, that's one of the, okay. that's one of the beauties of Amazon is everybody has the same canonical source of data in seller central. Are you only looking at companies selling primarily in the United States or like, have you purchased anything where their, their main sales are coming from Europe, for example? Yep. Yep. We've, uh, so we've purchased European sellers that are, you know, in the pan EU marketplaces, we've purchased a handful of UK sellers, um, which is actually an equity purchase versus an asset purchase. Um, yeah, we're, we're we're geography agnostic. All right, cool. Any in Japan or any of the other stranger marketplaces other than Europe and US? Uh, we haven't yet. Uh, but I foresee 2020 that we will, I'm actually talking with a seller in Japan right now. Okay, cool. Now, what's your what what's your strategy for growing these? I mean, obviously, you pick an account and it meets you know the certain metrics and it's got the great reviews. So, 
are you only considering like ones that have kind of built a brand that you can actually build upon or, or just the fact that somebody has a really solid account with just various things, it allows you to just bring in outside brands. Like, are you developing any just brand new brands, just taking advantage of the, the great account status that they have or every single thing for expansion is based on whatever the original brand is? Yeah. So we start with the original brand, uh, not, not, the, not necessarily the seller central account or the seller rating. Um, we're, we're building up our own. So we, we, we really start with the products and the listings. And then uh, from there, you know, there's a, a myriad of ways in which we can bring resources to the table to enhance, whether it be uh, search optimization, uh, marketing, you know, maybe a seller's underspending on PPC by, you know, 10 to 15%. Um, creative, maybe they haven't had the capital or time to invest in reshooting photos and adding enhanced brand content or supply chain and logistics, you know, maybe they're not the best negotiators with their suppliers. They haven't been to China and, you know, walk the factory floors, um, legal, you know, we have a, a full legal team, chief counsel and uh, five in-house attorneys to handle everything from IP to trademark to uh, listing compliance to product packaging compliance. So there, there's a whole host of resources that we bring to a brand that, that, that should allow for one cost efficiencies, but also uh, revenue growth. Okay. Another quick question. I'm just doing things as they, they come to my yeah. head here, because usually I find that you know, since, since I know nothing about this, a lot of the questions I have is probably what our listeners have, but you know, let, let's say there's already a million dollar seller out there or somebody who's just starting or, or halfway there. And, and they just want to have an idea of like, Hey, if I do decide to, to, to sell my business, like what it's worth now, obviously there's going to be tons of factors, like maybe the amount of inventory they have, their profitability, et cetera, et cetera. But but as a general rule of thumb, is there any kind of formula where it's like, hey, if you're making X, then we multiply or divide it by Y. And then that's kind of like what you could look at getting in a, in a deal like this. Yeah. So typically the market values Amazon businesses based on their trailing 12 months profit. Now that, yeah. that's commonly defined as seller's discretionary earnings. So it's your net profit. And then you would add back to that. Um, the owner's expenses. So if let's say they drew a salary of $100,000 a year to pay themselves, you would add that back to to the net profit to calculate your seller's discretionary earnings. And then once you have an agreed upon seller's discretionary earning number, then you would apply a multiple to that. And that is really, you know, it's art and science. So it's not, we don't sit back here and have this huge, uh, you know, computer sitting in a room that calculates the value of the business. It's really mm -hmm. uh, looking at growth trends, looking at product launches, looking at the moat that the product has, um, you know, the product score, the, the opportunity, the competitive landscape, you know, just like if you were going to go out and buy a business, you'd look at all those things, right? So we, yeah. we, we factor all that in and then, and then we come to what we think of is a fair, a fair valuation of the business. Now, you know, we're in the position to where we've, transacted 25 plus of these over the past year. So we have a pretty good feel of what these businesses, you know, sell should sell for and what's fair market value. And that being said, the, you know, the range typically upfront um, on an upfront multiple is two to three X that. And then there's uh, typically stability payments or performance pay payments on, on the back end of that as well to get people to a three, four X. So I would say the range is probably all in is two to four X. 
that sellers. So forex of what? Two to forex of what? Sellers trailing twelve months. Sellers discretionary earnings. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. So that's, that's interesting. So let, let, let's just, you know, for, for those who, who are driving and, and they can't put too much brain power yeah. to this about calculating and stuff, you know, I don't want people getting accidents out there. <laughs> let's, let's walk us through like a, a typical, you know, let's say a, a business or a, a Amazon store is making, um, we're not making, but selling a million, you know, gross revenue, a yeah. million dollars a year, their, their profit margins. I don't know what, what's typical. 20%, like, 20%, 20%. Walk us through yeah. how, how, the rest of that. So typically, that's, that's about as far as I yeah. can go. <laughs> <laughs> so if their net profits 20% and let's just say they're paying themselves out of that $50,000 a year that goes into calculating that $200,000 net, net income, net profit, add that 50000 back. So now you're at a trailing 12 months, $250,000. We would take that number and then you would apply a multiple to that. So let's say on the low end, that business could sell for $500,000, right? On the high end, you're talking a million dollars. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, that, that's a that's a great uh, rule of thumb to, yeah. to, to go by. Are there any circumstances where like maybe, I don't know, it, it, if the owner really wants to, or if it's just a really tricky kind of business where you actually have an ongoing arrangement where you... you, you you bring the owner on as like an employee for six months or something in a transition period or, or how does that even, how does a transition period even work? Yeah. So we're, we're very flexible. I think that's one of our value propositions as a buyer. Um, so speed and flexibility. So in terms of speed, we're very well capitalized. We have cash on hand. We close within 30 to 45 days. Um, so in, in that event, if the seller has launched another product or they want to reinvest the, the capital in the real estate, or they just don't want to, they want to be done with Amazon, they have that option. So it's, you know, maybe it's a 30 day transition period where, you know, Hey, you need to answer the phone when a brand manager who's responsible for the brand internally has a question or the supplier goes dark with our supply chain team or, you know, just, yeah. you know there's going to be these questions that come up. Right. Um, you know, I always say that we're, we're like a nanny, you know, taking over the baby from a parent. There's all, we don't know what the little initial cries mean <laughs> that, yeah. that a parent knows. Right. So, uh, to the extent that the seller can help us out with that, that's, that's kind of great. That's great. And the minimum we ask for now, the, the maximum it w- would be a scenario where, you know, a, a, an owner, has 10 products that they're just about ready to launch and they feel very confident in the future success of those products and they want to participate in the upside of those products. So under that scenario, we would say, okay, let's, let's buy your business as is and let's sign a consulting agreement with you whereby over the next year you help launch these products and you can have a profit share in the, you know, the success of those products. So it's, it's really okay. all over. There's no cookie cutter formula that we ascribe to because everybody has a different vision of how they, you know, want the transition to play out. Okay, cool. What are some other things that, you know, I'm kind of, I mean, I've had a lot of questions here, but I'm kind of running out here, but I know okay. there's just like so much, so much like what are the typical, uh, what I want to do now is when, when you guys start talking to businesses, like I'm sure the, the, the owners have tons of questions. So in your experience, what are some of those common questions that maybe I had not asked that, that you guys get from, from interested parties? And like I said, I'm sure our listeners would probably have those same questions. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing is, uh, the due diligence process, right? So, um, the overall process, you know, I, I talk to every single seller that inquires with Thrasio, 
Um, so I, I do all the phone calls. I work hand in hand with Josh, our CEO, on putting together all offers for all the businesses we acquire. So once we, we, we put an offer forward that's agreed upon, we sign what's called a letter of intent. It's a non-binding contract, but it just says, hey, assuming that the profit is what we both agreed upon and what's been reflected to us as buyers, this is what we're willing to pay for the business. This is the structure of the payments. Once that happens, the due diligence period kicks off in earnest. So I, I obviously do a lot of diligence up front on the competitive market, but it's all publicly available information, right? It's using Hel- yeah. Helium 10, you know, the world, et cetera, and doing research on the market. Uh, so, yep. so once it goes to due diligence, it's, you know, access to Seller Central, it's validation of, uh, you know, the cost of goods sold, um, any outside advertising, et cetera. There's usually a series of calls with, the internal stakeholders at Thrasio from all the different departments. Um, and then, you know, over probably the next three weeks, once we get comfort around the numbers and the operations, we would turn over what's called the final asset purchase agreement. Um, the final draft of that, you know, and then we encourage sellers to enlist outside counsel just to review the, the document and make sure they're comfortable with, you know, what the, the outline and expectation is. And once that's signed, you know, that's typically within 30 days, then we begin the account migration period. We have an awesome team internally that's you know, done over 25 of these. Um, it's a pretty seamless process from the seller standpoint. And that can take anywhere from 7 to 15 days, really, based on, you know, Amazon's response um, to, you know, the queries, et cetera. Um, and then once that's done, uh, you know, typically escrow is released and... Um, you know, the sellers are paid. I think there's there's a misconception in the marketplace in general during M&A transactions that once people get in a diligence period, um, that the the buyer often tries to tech, talk the seller down in price. And, and and that's not our aim at all. You know, we, we, we close over 90% of deals that we put under letter of intent. So we're not just out signing letters of intent to get exclusivity and decide whether or not we want to buy the company. It's not going to be like just uh, 200,000 people sign up for the Tesla Cybertruck, but uh, only 5,000 actually end up buying it. Exactly. No, it's okay. When we sign the letter of intent, our, our intent is to acquire the company. So you said you've bought 25 so far. Have every single one, you know, other than maybe the most recent ones, have you been able to increase the sales or like on 90% of them, 50% of them, or what's your just, I mean, this has nothing to do with purchasing, but Right. It's going to lead to another question depending on your answer. Yeah. Your, so yeah. what I would say is kind of what we disclose is that our, our weighted average growth. So based on a EBIT, like profit dollar that we've acquired has, mm-hmm. has grown on average from 40 to 65% on a rolling trailing 12 months basis. Okay. Well, I had a feeling it was going to be something crazy like that. So that that's my next question. What are some of your overall strategies? I mean, because somebody listening to this might not have you know, might, it might not be one of their goals to sell their business, but maybe they do have a, whatever size business, you know, that they want to increase it. So for you guys, what you're doing, you're doing something on a big scale that everybody wants to do. You know, they don't have 25 businesses, they got one, but whatever strategy you're using obviously is working. So like, what are you guys doing once you take over these businesses that allow you to, to scale like that? You know, there's first level improvements. So that would be, uh, again, supply looking very, uh, you know, intently on the supply chain and supply chain costs. Secondarily would be 
the advertising campaigns? Uh, are, we, are they optimizing for ACoS? Is there opportunity um, to invest more dollars in advertising to, to hit the, the target ACoS for a, a given product? Um, keep staying in stock, right? I mean, you know, I, I've seen so mm-hmm. many businesses that, you know, drop in BSR because they go out of stock for a month and they're still crawling out, right? It's kind of, you know, it's one of the things that we do day one is make sure we're adequately stocked across the board. And then when you move down to, you know, second level uh, improvements in brand, and that's uh, things that are a little bit longer dated, but, you know, we have an awesome team internally that moves quickly and is able to enact a lot of improvements. And that would be um, creative refresh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times that we've been able to increase conversion rates, you know, 15, 20, you know, 30% on listings by refreshing creative. Um, and then off, off Amazon traffic sources, uh, influencers, YouTube, you know, outside Amazon advertising avenues, investing in those. Um, there's, you know, there's just a bunch of different growth avenues um, to really optimize the businesses. Okay, cool. Well, one of the things you mentioned just had me thinking of something. Does it increase the value of what somebody could get if they have been building an offline audience, if they have like established social media with X number of followers or, or, or is just your main metric, just the Amazon account itself and those kind of other things are just kind of throw-ins? Yeah. So I would say if, if they can point to the value that those off Amazon assets have helped create on Amazon, that's definitely something that you know, we look at and we would put value on. So if they say, Hey, you know, we have, uh, you know, 25,000 numbers that we can text and we've, we've launched, uh, products on this and this is the ramp of the products, you know, based on, you know, the kind of text call to action that we've implemented, we would definitely look at that and put value on it. The, The question I always get, in concert with that is, Hey, if I have 5% of, you know, off Amazon revenue, what's that worth? Yeah. You know, I, I tell everybody, I, I call it diversification versus diversification, yeah. right? It's <laughs> if Amazon shuts you down, that 5% isn't going to save your business. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a, just a different business model, direct to consumer customer acquisition costs are all over the board, lifetime value. It's just, it's just different. Um, so I would, I, I would encourage people now, if you get, you know, 10, 15, 20%, it, it starts to add a little bit more value, um, to the business because there's a, you know, there's going to be a knock on, uh, flywheel effect within Amazon of having that offline presence and people, you know, buying and finding you on direct and then repurchasing on Amazon, et cetera. Okay. As far as the way you guys, or even if it's, you're not doing it now, if it's something in the future, like the way you guys scale, is it only within the marketplace where it's already selling? Or like, let's say you buy a US only account, like, are you going to start, Hey, I'm going to, we're going to go ahead and expand to Europe or vice versa. Do you have short or long-term girls? Like, Hey, they're on Amazon. Yes. We'll start on Walmart or we'll try and get wholesaler agreements. We'll try and get brick and mortar or are you guys just strictly just building exactly in the marketplace where they were established? No, it's a great question. Uh, we, you know, we view ourselves as kind of, we're trying to build the next generation consumer product, good company. So with that, it's not just Amazon, right? Primarily today it is. Um, but if, if we look out over the next two to three years, we are definitely going to focus on, uh, other channel growth outside of Amazon. And we're, okay. already, we're already doing cool. it today. 
what are what are your guys' goals? You know, I mean, did you hit the goal that you wanted to in 2019? And, and what's your goal yeah. for, for 2020? Yeah, great question. So yeah, we did. Um, we're, we're tracking towards the goal that we established um, when this was, uh, you know, a five person office um, over a year ago. So it's pretty, pretty awesome to, uh, you know, be a part of that and seeing the growth of the company. But, you know, we're, we think we're just getting started. Um, we've, 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 we've done a lot of heavy lifting this year in terms of infrastructure internally, uh, to really accelerate the acquisition process. So I think as we turn the calendar year in 2020, you know, our expectation is to, you know, double what we did this year and, um, and continue that in, into 2021. Sweet, sweet. Now, what I want to do right now is, is what the section of our program we call the, tss, that stands for TST, which is a 30 second tip. So basically, what is a, a high value kind of tip that you can give our listeners that it has to be 30 seconds or less? It could be something about, you know, preparing a business to eventually be sold or, or somebody just, it, it could be just your scaling, your scaling strategy. It could be how to be a Cleveland fan in Boston. I mean, for, I mean, like, you know, how not to get killed at a Boston yeah. pub when wanting to watch for a Cavaliers game. I mean, yeah. whatever the case is, 30 seconds or less, let's hear what your tip is. So my, you can take your time if you want. Yeah. So my my tip is when you are going ready to sell your business is be honest and upfront. So there's, there's nothing, there's no big, bigger deal killer than dishonesty, right? We're, we're buying a business, but we're also, you know, buying the trust of, of the seller and that they've, they've built a great business that they're, you know, sad, sad to part with, but also happy to part with at the same time, you know, um, we, we know what, we know what it takes. We know the perils of selling on Amazon and how stressful it can be. And so it's going to get, the truth's going to come out eventually. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, one of the biggest things that I would recommend people do. We're not, um, you know, we don't have stars in our eyes when we look at businesses. Okay. All right, cool. That's a great tip. Now, Ken, if people want to ask you more questions or, or possibly even start the conversations about, you know, see, seeing if you'd be interested in, in their Amazon account, how can they uh, find you on the interwebs? Yeah. So LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, send me an email, Ken at Thras, T-H-R-A-S dot I-O. Um, you can go also go to our website. There's a, a contact us form that comes directly to me and I respond directly to each, each one. Well, what's that? What just the direct website again? Uh, it's www.thras, T-H-R-A-S dot I-O. And just cool. hit contact us and it'll come to me and I'll contact you. All right, Ken, thank you very much for coming on the uh, program. We haven't had anybody talk about that. And, and that's something I think that's of interest to many sellers because, you know, uh, some people start into Amazon because they just want to, you know, th- their own, their own income, but then, you know, th- they don't have an exit strategy yep. and you guys are kind of providing that. So I think it's something that you know, a lot of Amazon sellers should look into. So thanks for coming on. And maybe in a year, I'd love to uh, around this, this time of the year, bring you back on and let's see how, how you guys crush your 2020 goals. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on Bradley. All right. Thanks a lot. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.